Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this episode, we're discussing how to help students who mix up right and left. lovely teachers, we're joined by Carmen Carpenter again, who is one of our staff writers and editors at Vibrant Music. We'll be chatting about students who confuse left and right hands and what to do about it. So Carmen, I think we all know what this looks like. We don't need to clarify. Every teacher knows this scenario. And we know that we use left and right as terms and as concepts at the piano. But what is the hurry? Because Will this problem just fix itself over time? Like some kids take a while to get to right and left, but we know very few adults who mix them up, right? So should we just be letting students fix it in their own time? Hmm, that is a really good question. And I did read a lot of stuff whenever I looked this up because, yeah, obviously I have young students that struggle with it. And then I have older students. And that's what really made me start thinking about it was, I had a 10-year-old student who is a perfectly bright child, capable, who just doesn't get left and right. And I was like, man, there's got to be something more to this. So I started looking it up. And yeah, I read blog posts from adults who were like, I still don't know. And there are plenty of people. And so it's just a fairly common phenomenon that people just don't get it. And it is really fairly abstract. I mean, you know, there's nothing to really anchor the side that, you know, this is my right side, this is my left side, whereas north and south is very specific. You've just made me think about, so there's actually a society, I can't remember where they are or anything. This is just one of those weird things that I've heard about, which actually they don't ever talk about left and right. They talk in north, south, East, West. So they would say the salt is to the east of your elbow, not the left, which is a totally different thing. And it's an absolute term. So it's a completely different way of thinking, which I bring that up just to say it's obviously learned. Like it's something we're learning in our society. It's not something that naturally is going to come to people, right? Right, exactly. And I read about that same situation. I don't remember the name of the, the people group or anything. It may have been like an Aboriginal people 
New Zealand maybe, but I don't remember. But they, but you're right. They speak in those specific terms that do have a specific direction, whereas left and right, I mean, it switches around. You know, you have to, as a teacher, be aware that little children mirror you. They copy you when you go, okay, raise up your right hand. They're not going to reverse that in their minds. They're going to raise up whatever hand you raise up. If you raise up your left hand, they raise up the one on the same side, which would be their left. And, and so it is just, (laughs) the other thing is it's like a 50, 50. So if you sit down with a child and you go, Hey, raise up your right hand, there's a 50, 50 chance. They're going to get, they're just going to guess it. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, I had a preschooler start recently. And I was so excited when when I asked her, oh, you know, we did like Simon Says or something, raise up your right hand and that. And she did it right. I was like, yes. And then I realized over the next few lessons, no, we're still working on it. And that's okay. You know, she is very little. And and so, but yeah, the 10-year-olds, the 12-year-olds that when I say, okay, let's hear that right hand part, you know, and they put that left hand up there. And so some of it is adjusting language to say, play the treble clef part, because they do tend to know that. They do tend to know this hand plays the treble clef. This hand plays the bass clef. Yeah. And I think they tend to also pick up faster for whatever reason, where the high notes live on the piano versus where the low Mm -hmm. notes live, even though those are the left and right of the piano as we think of it but I think that's where this is one of those things where piano can teach them so much that helps them in their life right if they start to associate okay right is high and figure that out they can just imagine a piano when people ask me ask them this annoying question (laughs) where's your right hand and figure it out so you mentioned briefly there though the the mirroring thing and you talked Mm -hmm. about this as like a mirror rule so before we dive into any activities to work on this in piano lessons Let's explain that a little bit more. I think this is something that's instinctive to me, probably just through all the dance I've done, that the teacher always mirrors. If they're facing you, they mirror what you're doing. So they start on their left foot, even though you always start on your right foot in Mm -hmm. Irish dancing because they're mirroring what you're doing. Absolutely. That That is so true. And I... I know that fact from my, you know, college experience and my elementary methods teacher telling us little children mirror you. So you have to use the side that you want them to use. And I know that plenty of piano teachers may not have had that same experience. You might be a professional player who teaches. So you may not have had somebody tell you this is how little children think. So, yeah, so I called it the mirroring rule because I want to make sure. And and like I said, too, I looked up videos on YouTube. Some of them didn't mirror. So, again, these are not people who know that about little children instinctively. And so you do have to be careful with it and be understanding that to require your student to constantly have to switch in their brain, which side is a big ask. They, they don't it do is. that. Yeah, and you're saying little children, but this is also the instinctive way for adults to do it. Unless if someone is showing you something and they specifically say they're going to do it a certain way, then you would adjust and it would be fine. You'd do the opposite of them. But I would default to doing 
a mirroring action. If someone mm-hmm. is like leading an exercise class or doing anything in front of you where you're expected to copy them, they should be mirroring what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do most of the time. I'm taking Mm. an adult dancing class at the moment and my husband is doing it as well. And she, at the leader of the class, the teacher, is mirroring everything. And I've noticed that almost all of us mirror back. And then there's just like one or two in the class who do everything opposite because they obviously think she's doing what she's saying, but she's not. (laughs) She's doing the opposite of what she's saying because that's what dance teachers do. Right. Yeah, I think it's just a good note for those teachers who to whom that's not obvious. You just mm-hmm. need to be aware of, um, am I facing my student or am I side by side with them? Therefore, mm-hmm. should I make it the opposite or the same? Right. That is a good point. Yeah, I find that same thing when I do, you know, yoga videos or Pilates videos or whatever it is. And the teacher says to the right and they move to their right. You know, I move to the left. I just automatically mirror. And that is, that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's think about some fun ways to work on this in lessons because we don't want to just be sitting facing our student and say, put up your right hand. And they put up their left and we're like, no. And then just do that over and over. That's not going to be very helpful or fun for every, anyone. So first of all, you talked about singing in your article about this. Mm-hmm. How could we use singing to work on this? Well, I certainly you can sing the Hokey Pokey Mm -hmm. if you're familiar with that fun little tune. And you can also make up little songs. I made up a little, you know, song to Mary Had a Little Lamb there that I put in the article because helping kids to connect and their dominant hand, that's what the song is about, right? Is, you know, I write with my right hand. And most children do. That's like a 75%, I think, was the number that I read that are right-handed. And so connecting, I write with my right hand is helpful. And so making up a little song around that, whether it's, yeah, to the tune of Mary Had a Little Lamb, I just chose that because it's public domain. (laughs) You can make up your own or have them make up their own little hand song. And certainly there's plenty of other songs that include right and left that you can use as tools and and particularly with your younger students because they they love to sing at lessons I think that's awesome yeah and you know if it is just for you and your students in your studio and you're not publishing it on a blog post it could be their favorite song whatever that is you don't have to worry about it being something in the public domain so feel free to put it to Taylor Swift or whatever you like and they can get really into it and maybe they'll sing it a bit more because they already like that tune. Kids often really enjoy changed lyrics on a song, like altered Mm -hmm. singing altered lyrics is just inherently fun. Right. Have you picked that up too? They just, no matter what the new lyrics are, I mean, they can be something, they're often something a little bit, you know, rude or whatever. But even when they're not, they just think it's funny to have like changed the lyrics to a song. Right. Yes, yes. And so, yes, for all your teachers who actually keep up with those things, that's awesome. I'm the worst. (laughs) But yeah, but don't worry about keeping up. This is not about putting pressure on teachers to like, go listen to the Spotify top 100 every day or something. I'm just saying, ask them, what's your favorite song? And then look it up or get them to sing the tune and write some new lyrics to it. I think it'll be a fun activity. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, so what about movement-based activities? How could we work on this through movement? Okay, so movement, I, I, you know, love to do like the cha-cha slide. That's a little older one, but it might be fun and new for this group of young kids, right? Oh, that's kind of fun. And they love like line dancing kind of stuff that gives them directions, partly because some kids really don't know how to dance they don't know what to do with their bodies so when they have direction oh that's nice and so that cha-cha slide the cupid shuffle again the hokey pokey anything that like gets them moving and i think movement in general helps learning stick then and also like i said too you can point back to it do you remember that song which side of your body you had to move and maybe they can like connect to that oh I had that oh yeah that was this side so this is my right hand yeah yeah absolutely and you mentioned the the dominant hand thing and it being right Mm. for your right hand I think this is a good option for extra reinforcement for most students but also for those students who don't have a strong dominant hand preference I have a couple of ambidextrous students yeah guessing that's above the odds in terms of the percentage of my studio that's ambidextrous but still they are out there and it it really does make things a lot more confusing and they find coordination more challenging in general which obviously affects Mm -hmm. their piano playing so getting them to dance I know I talk about dance a lot but really it's great and it's so connected to music so and it's fun Right. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, getting them moving, that getting them off the bench, all of those things. And certainly, I mean, if you aren't comfortable with dance, then you can do things like Simon Says. They love that too. Yeah, they can play Simon Says all day. And so do you guys play that? In- oh, yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's a global game, at least an English speaking world game. Right. Yes. Maybe so it's in other languages. Cool. I'll have to check with some people. Do you have like a... Different name, Stefan says or something. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so we have some games inside the Vibrant Music Teaching Library for this, of course, as well. We have one that's specifically for this, which is called Right, Left, Smash, Crash. That's a barrel of fun. It It is smashy and crashy, so get ready for some loud sounds. Yes. But it's a fun one. I have that same preschooler that started recently asks me, every single week can we play smash crash and i let her most of the time but oh she just loves it and we just since she is so little and she's not we i just take out the staff cards right because she's not quite ready for that yet and but then but i do put in the rh and lh even though she's not necessarily really reading yet she can kind of recognize the r and l well enough to yeah. do it but I do take out the staff cards for that, the little yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just since you bought, brought up the letter L, mm. I'll just mention a little bugbear of mine, which is that advice to look at your hands. And I know you brought this up as well, Carmen, in your post. To look at your hands and which one makes an L. I'm sorry, but if a child can tell which one is backwards and which one is forwards, they probably already know right from left. Like, that is kind of an underlying concept to the concept you're trying to cover. At least that's how I see it. Because you don't know which one is backwards unless you're good at getting things the right way around. Uh, is that how you see it? Or do you think... Hmm. Yeah. 
I don't know, but I don't like that rule very much in general. And part of it isn't just the whether or not you can see it backwards. It's like, which way do you put your hands? Yeah, there's that too. You know, so if you're turning them a different direction, then you have also another L situation. And so I feel like it's just, it, again, it's just fairly abstract. Mm. It, you know, it seems like it should be concrete because it involves their fingers. But I, I don't know. I just have too many of them that still just look at those two fingers up like that and just go, I don't know. You know, even if they're older kids, they just don't, they don't think that way, right? They don't see the letter in their hands. They yeah. don't see that's an L. But I, your point is interesting. I would have to, I have to ponder that because I'm like, yeah, interesting because you do. So you feel like they should, they would know left from right if they knew that the letter was going the right direction. Yes? I think the two things are at least correlated. I yeah. would guess. I'd say this. I don't have scientific evidence. It just makes sense to me that kids mm. who are good at writing their letters in the right direction are also better at figuring out right from left. Now that that because a lot I, of kids do struggle that. with writing them backwards, right? And I yeah. think the two things seem to be mildly correlated, at I least. I agree with that. Yes, I, I do agree with that because I do think when yeah. If they're continuing, if they're an older child and they're continuing to write letters backwards, then yes, they probably are still struggling with some things related to left and right. Yes, I would agree with that statement for sure. And to come back to my ambidextrous students, they're ones who at a much later age will still write all their letters. Like it'll be very hit or miss whether they get them mm. the right way around. So I just think it's mm. connected somehow inside the brain. But my way of figuring out right from left, and I do remember it being like confusing all the way through primary school, I would say, at least, mm. where I wouldn't be absolutely sure, like I'd have off times where I was like, is it? Because it was always hard to figure out. And I used to just like write in the air. Once I was writing, I would just do this. I'm waving <laughs> my hand in the air. Carmen can see me. But I'm like, Pretending to grip a pen and waving my hand in the air. And I would do that with my right hand and my left hand and go, no, this one feels correct. That's what I'd pick up a pen with. Mm. And I know you also had maybe an even more unique way of figuring out which was your right hand. It's, uh, it's true. I And I was in second grade when I made this realization. And actually, it was because I was at a photography session. I was getting my picture done. And the photographer wanted my right hand over my left. And I, you know, and he said that to me. And so I instinctively put my left hand over my right because my right hand, I had a large wart. And I'm talking like, you know, a pencil eraser sized wart. It was big. And so I covered it up with my left hand. And he said, no, no, the one with the wart on. So he literally pointed, this is back in the 70s, you know, so people didn't find the need to be nice to little children, I guess. But anyway, so I put my, right, so I switched them for the picture. But then from that day forward, I was like, oh, so my word is on my right hand. And so I, I know this is my right hand and it just like solidified it for me. And, and then from then on, and 
eventually I did have that wart removed just for anyone who's concerned. But yeah. <laughs> nothing to be concerned about. I had warts as well. Oh, yeah. yes. So, but, but, you know, when you have something like that, it does make it easy. And then your whole life, you've got it too. Because mm. I'm never going to forget Which that I had was on my hand, right? My yeah. right hand. I think it's also that it's so tied to that story as well. Like that was a not particularly enjoyable experience, <laughs> but often those are the ones that stick. Just think it's yeah. hilarious as well that the photographer cared so much that every child had their hands the correct way around. Not even yeah. they were sitting the the same way, but like exactly the same way. Right. We all need yeah. to be robotic replicas of each other. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. Again, it was the 70s. So, you know, yeah, there was a, a right way and a wrong way. Much more so than now where you go, whatever, put one of your hands on top of the other hand. I don't care which one. <laughs> right? We've all got other things to worry about. Yeah. So if you, you talked in the article about, you know, not pointing these things out about our students, because we don't want to be that photographer, even if it's something that we think is not a you know not something to be upset about like a word just like a freckle or whatever we don't mm -hmm. want to be pointing out features of our students hands in case they are self-conscious about it or have any other sort of association with that but we can get them to look at their hands right oh yeah absolutely yeah i mean just like hosting a conversation just having that you know let's look at your hands let's see if we can help you find something that will help you to remember that that you can always see and and lots of them have you know little freckles little scars little moles whatever it might be and they can yes find that for themselves you go oh yeah okay that might help you remember and and you know you don't have to really dive into it and really you know meld with it just kind of say to them oh well maybe that will help you remember and then move on you know yeah, so see if they take it from there Right, exactly. And you could ask, oh, is there a way to help you, you know, if it comes up again later, even mm -hmm. if you remember, see, that's the kind of weird stuff I would remember. I would remember that so-and-so has a freckle on their right hand. You know, I won't remember that I need to buy milk at the store, but I'll remember that. And so I, you could just ask in general, now, do you have a way to help you remember, right? Oh, oh, it was that. Yeah. And then go, go that direction, not Hey, you have that big scar right there on your right hand. You know, don't do that. Yeah, big hideous scar. Oh my god. You're never gonna miss that one. Right. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Super. So then just finally, for those really struggling, those students we have who are maybe 10, 11, 12, still really struggling with this, do you recommend or have you tried getting parents involved and helping them work on this at home? That is a great question. You know, usually I do it with my younger students. Like when they very first start th that interview lesson, that trial lesson, I will check on it. And if it isn't fairly solid, I will say to mom, hey, can, can you work on that at home? Can you start to give directions that say, please hand me that with your right hand or whatever it might be. The older students, it's a little trickier because I feel, I don't want parents to think that I'm questioning their parenting. Mm -hmm. And I feel like because it is this life skill issue 
that I'm a little leery of it. I'm a little leery to, you know, write an email, make a phone call that says, hey, your child needs to know right from left. You know, I feel like inside, at least me as a mom, I would probably go, oh, shoot, they think that I'm a terrible mother. You know, and so it's a little bit harder that way. And so I think it would have to be in a more friendly setting. Like if mom was there at the lesson, you know, they come sometimes and it comes comes up or you could even maybe orchestrate that it would come up so that you could then say to mom, oh, do you have trouble with that at home? Mm-hmm. No, mom is like, oh, we do, you know, we, or, or, oh man, I've never noticed. Maybe you could then host that conversation, but that one is harder when they're older. Yeah. Because it seems like they should know that. They should know the right from their left. Yeah. And even beyond to parents, like even if the parent was okay with it and they start working on it to the student, they might already be hyper aware that everyone else in their class knows this and it embarrasses Mm -hmm. them when it comes up in school or something. So I would be cautious around that. I think for me, yeah, it's those opportunities where we are face to face, like where we're doing a little parent catch up meeting Mm -hmm. with me and the kid is not there or something like that or an email I'm sending to them anyway. And I would tend to approach it from, oh, I've noticed that this happens in piano. I'm wondering if that ever comes up in school or anything mm. like that, just to give an opening so that mm. they can then say, yeah, we're really struggling on it. If you have any ideas, I'd love to hear them. And then you have an opening to do it. Or they say, nope, that must be just a piano thing. And you just let it go <laughs> you know, right. and work on yeah. it in the lessons. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Yes, I try really hard to make all my parent interactions as positive as possible, right? And so, yes, if it came to something like that, where they're like, oh, no, that must be something, you know, that's just piano, then I would just be like, okay, and I would just keep trying and working on it. Keep trucking on, yeah. Oh, yes, for sure. And, you know, I have a fairly high tolerance level, so it's okay. (laughs) I think all of us must if we do this job. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about rights and lefts. I think this is something that comes up for all of us. It's been great to think of some strategies together. All right, thanks. So if you find right and left tricky yourself as an adult, I would love to hear from you. Or if you have a lot of experience with this with students, come tell us how you get on with it, what you've worked on, what you've tried with your students. You can write to us at Colorful Keys on Instagram or find the blog post that goes along with this episode and leave us a comment there. One of the awesome benefits for Vibrant Music Teaching members is that they get an exclusive member magazine every month. This magazine brings together our blog articles in a way that is digestible and super actionable. If you want to become a member and get the magazine as well as all the other benefits, you can go to vmt.ninja to sign up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.